same with a new face With strange mysteries hanging in the air People in their sane minds Swear they see you today Are you looking for the love they took away? Ghoulish greetings, my friends. Those tunes that just went through the old ears are courtesy of the awesome Bobby Mackey, and I'm your host, Tessa Morrow. Thank you so much for stopping by Paranormal Prowlers Podcast. The man couldn't believe his luck. He found the house of his dreams. It was perfect. It was everything he was looking for, and then some. It almost seems too good to be true. He moves in, and his happy moving in a new house honeymoon phase soon changes to despair, anger, frustration, and mind-boggling emptiness. You see, when this gentleman moved in, one thing they didn't mention, a house may come with ghosts. I can see it now. Look at these lovely countertops and these floors. Oh my goodness, look at these gorgeous floors. Oh, and the house may come with demons. Wait, see ya, wouldn't wanna be ya. Out of here like a bat out of hell. Now these days with the paranormal community growing each and every day, realtors and home buyers can be honest and talk about paranormal goings on in their home sweet haunted home. Hell, there's even buyers out there looking for that sort of thing. My friend, Keith Linder, is stopping by in this week's episode. You may have seen Keith on Ghost Adventures or also My Horror Story. Keith is an IT professional. He's a normal guy who likes to go fishing. He enjoys the great outdoors. He loves sports, especially football and basketball. He loves movies and sci-fi. And he's admitted to being a proud geek. In 2012, this proud geek and his then-girlfriend moved into a lovely home in the suburb of Seattle. While at this home, they witnessed phenomena that would change their lives forever, as did the paranormal community. My friends, whether you are a believer, a non-believer, or a hardened skeptic, the evidence and stories that you are about to hear will have you re-evaluating what you think and feel about the paranormal. You guys, buckle up. This is going to be a bumpy ride with some scary detours. Linder, welcome to Paranormal Prowlers Podcast. Thanks for joining me this week. It's always awesome chatting with you. It's been a couple years. <laughs> uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's been about uh, maybe a year and a half, almost two years. Feels good to be back. Yeah, absolutely. So Keith, you know, before anything paranormal or supernatural occurred in your life, were you a skeptic? I, I wasn't a diehard skeptic. I would say... I'm open-minded. I'm pretty much open-minded about a lot of things, including the paranormal. So I would define myself as 50-50. If you told me your experience, I would believe you until proven otherwise. That's, that's, that's just my philosophy. I've never had any experience with the paranormal prior. It was not an interest of mine, but I mean, I like a good scary movie every now and then. Yeah, I like to keep an open mind on, on things that I don't have all the subject matter knowledge on so yeah i'll be 50 50 on that yeah so an open-minded skeptic my my favorite type of skeptic if you will yeah (laughs) so talk a little if you will about the house itself like do you know any of the history behind the home the property or the land any documented deaths or anything that you know of well, the home of the Bothell House is in Bothell. Bothell, Washington is northeast, maybe 20 minutes northeast of Seattle. It's a suburb, a growing suburb. This house, the one Mantina lived in, 
It was relatively a brand new house. It was built in 2005, Hmm. as was the neighborhood. Two-story track home, all the other houses looked sort of similar, brand new neighborhood. And of course, when we moved in 2012, you know, you do the normal house stuff. You don't look for deaths and weird things happening with the land and you know, because it's a brand new house. It shouldn't have that much history, you would think. Boy, were we, were we wrong. But later, and I mean much later, talking about two, maybe four years later, upon this researching the house, me and other individuals, there was a cabin in that lot prior between, I think it was in the 1940s up to the 1990s. Mm. A log cabin, the only cabin in that general vicinity we tried to reach or I tried to reach out to the occupants of that cabin of course the trail grew cold so I I got I read it to a dead end but Bothell the city of Bothell and anyone can go online and research Bothell Washington and you'll see just like most of the area in the Pacific Northwest where I live there's a Native American history of the founding of Seattle. Seattle is named after Chief Seattle. And so the county, Snohomish County, which is where I live in, and Skycomish and other names, have a lot of Native American names to them. There's a lot of, you can see it in the area, the street names, the towns, the cities. And what was very peculiar about this case is some of the wall writings were written with Native American symbols. So that was a sort of clue as to hey, is it the land? Is it the immediate vicinity? And if that's the case, why not all the other houses having similar activity? But the only thing that I was able to, I guess, find and that was sort of tangible and interesting was there were a lot of factions, a lot of wars and uprisings between the settlers and the Native Americans back in the mid-1800s in Bothell. And a lot of that was close vicinity to the house. Bothell, the Native Americans in Bothell or Snohomish County experienced a smallpox outbreak that decimated 500 members of the uh, Snohomish tribe, a.k.a. the Willow people, as they're referred to on Wikipedia. And they were pretty much decimated, as were Native Americans throughout Pacific Northwest and Northern California, Oregon, all the way up to Vancouver and Alaska. So nothing new there. But um, it just made it interesting that, and we'll talk about it as we go through the show, about why they chose to, you know, you saw the upside down symbol on my wall. Well, we know that's a Native American symbol. That means a man has died. And it also means specifically, because there's all kinds of ways to die, but it means specifically that a man has died, either was murdered or through smallpox or through disease. Oh, interesting. That's what that symbol means. So, you know, it's not, it's just not a blanketed symbol of a man has died, but it's very specific if you look up the, the true meaning. And now that's verifiable using online, but uh, it just made the case more interesting and made it, made us home in to the, the idea that there, have, there might be some Native American linkage here. And of course, shamans came in and did a little poking around and shed some light on the fact. Um, also, the term horsehair pottery, if you ever want to watch videos of that, you can go on YouTube and you will see that some of the wall markers on my wall, but I'm talking about the, the appearance of, not the substance what it's made out of, but the, the application method, eerily resembles the horsehair pottery concept. If you look closely at my wall markings, it's very webbing like it's very loose very hairy kind of it's like there's a randomness to it at the same time there's a a lot of order out of chaos if you will and if you watch the videos not mine but this Native American videos for horsehair pottery you'll see when they do that but basically what they're doing is they're taking horsehair and they're throwing it onto a, an extremely hot clay object pottery while it's spinning and the horsehair incinerates and forms a beautiful pattern, a beautiful pattern on the uh, the pottery when, it, when it's complete. 
the two look kind of similar. The, the, the method of how, and we still don't know without surety, of how our walls got painted like that. I mean, we, we deduce to what it's made out of, but knowing what it's made out doesn't tell you how it got there. Right, and we'll get more into that later on, but when you find out what it actually is made out of, it brings more questions than answers. <laughs> That's what I found out through my research is more answers begets more questions. You never really catch up to the truth because it's so far ahead of you. Yeah. When you open one door, there's 20 more waiting for you. <laughs> like, oh, oh my gosh. And, <laughs> yeah, so I, I've learned that about the paranormal, about research is more questions than answers. Right, absolutely. Never never a dull moment, that's for sure. Now, Keith, walk us through the first encounter. You know, the moment that turned from living in a normal house to, oh, shit, what did we get ourselves into? Well, the first time we came to the realization that our house was haunted, me and Tina, my ex-girlfriend, we're, like, we're about two months in, and we had already been having activity, but we didn't know it because like, we're not familiar with the paranormal. So there were things happening on day one, the kid cough. I talked about my first book that we heard on day one of getting the keys and signing the papers. And then objects missing, of course. I'm, I'm coming to Tina telling her certain items that I own are missing, example, car keys. She's telling me the same thing, jewelry. But these are just things we just put in the bucket of, oh, well, they'll show up sooner or later. We just recently moved here, so maybe things got shipped around. Yeah. And things are generally turn up on their own. What was really weird, and this is where we start even thinking we were being pranked by the neighborhood and maybe by the previous homeowners or some weird reality TV show, because we didn't scream paranormal right away but when objects start appearing that neither one of us own and these are kid toys and they're, and they're displayed openly these are things that are placed in your direct path they're placed on the staircase coffee table, kitchen table kitchen countertop it's like the spirits want you to see them they're not, they're not being shy or coy and they want you to give commentary and we did I would pick up toys and like Tina this was on you know, the coffee table that you moved in when you moved in with and to the house and we don't have kids. Yeah. We don't have kids. It's just us living there. So we thought, you know, because most of the time we found these objects were in the morning coming downstairs. We thought somebody was putting these items in our home while we were asleep. Somebody still had access to the front door or there's a, you know, a, a patch door or a hidden doorway or a floorboard or something. So we had all these weird thoughts. And um, I went and got ADD security installed. I went and changed the locks on all the perimeter doors. That didn't solve anything. But the day where we realized, no, we got a ghost, and that's what we called it at first, was when the plant levitated in the living room while we were watching TV. We were watching television. And the plant, Tina's plant, it's about a four-foot-tall ivory something. And it does a dart up in the air and does a spin, 360-degree spin, hmm. and then falls over in our direction. And we both saw it. I mean, it was nothing like, hey, Tina, come here. I got to show you something. No, we both saw it. We were side-by-side side watching TV. Incredible. And I remember we leaped up toward the plant, and even then, I think I or Tina, I forgot who did it first, started rummaging through the leaves because we thought there was a hidden wire or remote control device or, or something. We thought it was on some sort of, you know, Big Brother reality show or, or something. And then we didn't find anything. That's when we said, I think we have a kid ghost. Because we went back to the kid cough, we went back to the toys, yeah, and the stuff missing. Because when we went upstairs to my office and went on the internet, and we typed, "How can you tell your house is haunted? What are the telltale signs?" And believe it or not, the websites were accurate in that regard, saying items missing, items appearing that neither one of you own, phantom noises like a cough, a kid voice, 
footsteps, pitter-patter, coming down, finding kitchen cabinet doors open. And we had all that. And yeah. we were like, oh. And we weren't thinking scared or malevolent. You know, most people are like, well, I would have ran, I would have left the house right away. No, because nothing as of yet has put fear in our hearts. I mean, it was a kid ghost. The internet said, hey, just sometimes these things happen. And the best thing you can do is put on a parental role, you know, talk gingerly, talk softly, you know, try to establish some sort of ground rules or communication, try to talk it into the light. And we tried all that. But the response we got was the opposite. You know, the internet said that they eventually get bored or leave because they're confused. But most of the time they'll dissipate and you're good. Ours obviously didn't do that. Ours started throwing objects back at us when we asked questions like, why are you here? What do you want? I mean, if you want to get a bar stool or a kitchen chair thrown at you, ask a question like that in our house. And we did. We asked questions like that, but once an object flies at you, you know, you stop, right? I mean, well, stop digging. <laughs> you struck oil. So yeah. we, we, we stopped asking the questions because that was not the response we were told online that we would get. And then that made us reach out to the local churches who did come, who did respond to our calls. We told them, hey, new couple, new house. Can you bless it? And they did. And that was quieted down for, I would say, a week. Mm. And then you're back where you're, you started from. Yeah, that is just so incredibly eerie. And I still can't get over the whole, like, the toys just appearing. And like you said, they're in frequently used areas where you guys are spending time every day where one of you would have ran into it, stepped on it, or seen it. So do I remember correctly, there was, like, a drawer, like, in the kitchen that you guys had that was empty that you just started putting all these, like, random toys in. And, like, you know, if you found something that wasn't yours, you would just, like, kind of toss it in the drawer. Yeah, my, my instinct was when we found these toys, we put them in a the kitchen drawer. I mean, these are hot wheel toys, trinkets, girl jewelry. Yeah, so we put them in the, in the kitchen drawer. I don't know why. I don't know what we're not holding for anybody, but it just felt like, okay, we, we, we need to save these. This is going to mean something to somebody later on. And, and, we, and we saved them. But what was interesting about the toys themselves is they're very dated. I, I won't necessarily call them today's toys. I would say these toys, I mean, if you flip them on their belly, you would see made Japan 1996 or 1994, or they're not, they're not anything you can walk into a Toys R Us and pull off the shelf. Yeah. Unless you, you know, went back 10 years. And it was just weird. Some of the toys, no doubt, and I'm pretty, yeah, were older than the house. Weird. Elf is a conundrum. You know, like, how can that be? Yeah, the toys that we were finding were older than the house. Yeah. Right. And the jewelry, that would, you would think that, like, you know, if you find just, like, this, like, jewelry in a house and there's only one woman and that's not her jewelry, did that, like, put tension between you guys? Like, like a lot of women might think, um, whose is this, honey? Well, you bring up a good question. That did later on. The jewelry we're finding now are children jewelry. And what was interesting, two years, three years later in the house, yeah, Tina did start finding female jewelry that didn't belong to her. And it became a, a moment of contention, especially she would go away on business. And come back and the jewelry was almost all, all the time the jewelry the kid toys I told you about were put on staircases coffee table kitchen counter yeah big jewelry of another another woman uh on her lap table by the bed or the bed itself oh jeez the bathroom our bathroom you know she would come in and yank the sheets off the, the bed doing laundry and a female's earring a fallout. Oh, boy. You know, you're sort of torn, and, 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 and Tina and I would have these dilemmas, and I understand nobody wants to see that because we're living in the house of whatever, right? We're, we're not in Kansas anymore. And the objects are flying through walls, levitation and all this. But at the same time, you've seen it all. Tina's seen it all. I've seen it all. 
but at the same time, you have questions. You're like, is this paranormal or is this real? You know? Right. And the, the spirit knows our insecurities. It knows each of us our insecurities. And that was one of Tina's pet peeves, uh, or one of her insecurities was that. And they played to that. And a lot of times we would work together like, hey, that's, hey, that's the spirit trying to work with your mind and try to and that only goes so far. And yeah, it would, there would be there would be moments because they they did it so well. They did it too well, in my opinion. It was so well that even if it happened to me, I would question. I would be like, okay, is there another guy in here? Yeah. Everything I've seen so far: Bibles burning, wall writings, you know. All raining dimes out the ceiling, all that I would still be like, wait, okay, is there a guy? Tina bringing a guy out of the house while I'm not here. When you know already, don't trust nothing you see in this house. Nothing is as it seems. So, yeah, that, that brought up, that brought a lot of tension, which is fuel for the poacher guns. Mm-hmm. It was their experiment, their manipulation, their orchestrating everything and watching the fallout as a result. Right, absolutely. I was just going to say, very manipulative. And obviously, you and Tina both dealt with so many different things during your time in this house. And I'm surprised you guys stayed, you stayed as long as you did. You know, we're going to discuss more of what happened in the house throughout this whole episode. But a while back, a year or so ago, you shared with me a report and it was jam-packed with several findings and encounters. And in that report is a picture you drew of something or someone you saw on the stairs. Describe what you saw. Kind of walk us through this event. Are you referring to the gray lady with her head around the wall? Or yeah. Something? I believe that's the second and not the third time I saw the gray lady. And that this moment when I saw her, I was downstairs. I can't work in my office anymore because it was just too dangerous upstairs to be in my office. Mm. The spirits have taken it over. They're throwing mass things at me while in the office. They've got the words KL written on every wall. So I... Uh, when I work from home, I, I took a position at my kitchen table, which is downstairs. And one night I was just typing away and deep into my work on my laptop. And I got the TV on. And you know, you, I don't know if you've ever been in a forest and everything goes silent. You get that sense of danger or you're being watched or yes. something. Or, so I'm just typing away. And then something hits me like, look up, Keith look up at the house it's too quiet even for this house it's just too quiet you know y'all don't hear cars passing by outside i don't hear nothing i don't hear the, the ice machine and refrigerator churning it's just too quiet mm. and i looked up from my keyboard and she was staring dead at me plain as day mm. people on the, on the wall and she had the, the, the buggiest eyes just nearly popping out her socket and her hair was all frizzy and I remember I looked up, and we locked eyes for about one second, which felt like an eternity. And I, I'm shocked because I really don't know what I'm looking at. I know, but I don't know. And she moves back; her head goes back by the wall, by the by the staircase, and I don't see her anymore. And I hear her thundering upstairs, well, footsteps thundering upstairs. <laughs> And I could tell you how our house is laid out. It's a two-story home. All the bedrooms are right above the kitchen in the living room. And you know how you can follow a footstep above you? You can tell what room. Yeah. I footsteps walk through the hall, cut left to our master bedroom, and then go all the way to our bathroom and stop. That's where the noise stops. And I followed it. I followed the noise. Like I, I didn't chase her. I waited for a few seconds. And I walked upstairs, and I walked to the hallway, went to the bedroom, and then walked to the bathroom to where I know I heard the, the sound stop. And it was 
deep into the master bathroom and I just shook my head like, what the heck? Why did she come in here of all places? But um, yeah, she was looking dead at me. My, uh, and, I, and I mentioned this in my first book, I wonder how long she was staring at me, you know? Yeah. told me to look up and there's a, a theory among psychologists and they tell you, I don't know the exact name for it, I don't have my notes with me, of how your senses kick in over time when you're being observed, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, like, it's like you're sleeping and your little kid comes over there and he's just, you know, wants a peanut butter jelly sounds, but he's just staring at you and then you're like, you feel a presence over you and you wake up and then you're like, hey, what do you want? It was like that. I, I think she was staring at me for a while. Ooh, absolutely chilling. You know, you're here you are at home by yourself, just trying to get some work done. And you just, home is supposed to be your safe haven. You're supposed to be at ease and just be comfortable there and know that you're safe. And yeah, that's happened to me before where I just like, like you said, like that feeling like, you know, somebody's walking up behind you and even if they're trying to be quiet, you like your senses, you could hear and feel them, you know, and same with looking. There's times where I'll be watching TV and my boyfriend sometimes if he's not like watching into what I'm watching or whatever, he'll be in the bedroom and the door will be open and it's a decent amount, like, you know, a good distance away And there's times where I feel somebody watching me and I'll look and of course it's just him, but I'm like, what do you want? (laughs) But you know, I know what you mean. You, the feel of being watched and that's crazy that something inside you is like, Hey, you're not alone. Look up, be careful. Yeah. The way she was, and and this happened more than once. And it was weird because once we locked eyes, she's like, okay, I looked at you long enough. And then, just walked and disappeared upstairs, but you heard the footsteps. Yeah, were going from the low staircase, and even and even in that report, I think Steve Mara, the the guy who authored the report I gave you, uh, he even talked about it. He said, from where her face was on the staircase, you can't stand you, me, and any other human being for that matter can't stand that high above that staircase because she was about five steps up up where her head was piercing Mm. and you could not lean and hold that position and peep around the corner like that so it's like what he's saying in the report is okay you saw a face all right but don't go too far and say that there was a body too there you just saw a, a, a face because when we tried to reduplicate it, because they were at him and Don were there, and they were trying to narrow down as to how's that dexterity-wise, how's that even possible? From where she, Keith, you said she was peeping her head, it was high up, and where her feet need to be to do that. And every time we tried, I mean, you break your neck trying, so we gave up. And that dexterity is just not physically possible for you and I. Now, if she's a spider woman or something on a wall or whatever, yeah, go knock yourself out. You can pick it around the corner all day. But <laughs> all I saw was a, a head. I didn't see a shoulder. When I tried to do it myself, there's no way I could do it. I'm six foot five. There's no way I could do it. Uh, I would have to show half my person to even come close. All thing I saw was her head and a lot of hair. And her bugly eyes. I'll never forget her eyes. Never. I drew that I drew because her eyes got me. Yeah. Do you have any clue as to who this woman could possibly be? Well, the well, I mean, this is the gray lady. Now, this is the gray lady who turned off my lights in 2012 in the office. This is also, there's two chapters in book one the gray lady and the white lady because I saw two apparitions through the course of living in the Bothell house. They're identical except for their color. The gray lady is called the gray lady, obviously. And when I saw her, I think a few more times, I contacted or was able to contact through research 
the previous tenant, Rhonda. And Rhonda, they look just like her. They look like the previous tenant who lived in the home. Interesting. And is Rhonda alive? Rhonda was alive when I was seeing the gray lady. She's not alive, unfortunately, now. She committed suicide in 2016, August of 2016. But Rhonda was mm-hmm. living in Yakima. Oh, yeah. When I, when I saw the both apparitions, Rhonda was very much alive. And she and her family had had similar activity five years before we did. They lived in the house five years before we did. There's a terminology for that. It's called living apparition or crisis apparition. When you see an apparition of someone who's alive, it, u- it usually means, if we're talking about living or crisis apparition, that the person is undergoing extreme stress. And there's some theory to, there's some evidence in the Bothell House to support that. Because Rhonda, in talking to her, her son, where they were living, was still seeing shadowy figures in Yakima while we were having our hell inside that house. Mm. So he would still see shadow figures out the corner of his eye. And Rhonda regarded the house, and correctively, correctively so, as being the house from hell, as running their marriage, as being alive. She said it was the beginning of the end, of the end in that place. And uh, they've only, they only stayed in the house for uh, eight months. Oh, boy. Yeah, well, first off, my condolences of her passing. That's that's very sad. So we heard about the gray lady, and how about the white lady? Was she malevolent? Was she, did you get the creeped out vibe like you did with the gray lady with her? Well, I say in my book, The Bulk of Hell is the white lady. Outside of them being both being apparitions, they're different as night and day, and, and I mean literally because... The gray lady interacted with me. The gray lady, the first time I saw her in 2012, turned off my light in my office and stood in the doorway about a second after that and darted down the hall. Ooh. Okay, she physically turned off the light. You know, I'm not talking about Portuguese lights going off and all by themselves. That happened, but this is a different category. I heard the click noise. The light switch was down, meaning that it's in the off position. Yeah. It's in the doorway, and there's a woman there. It's not Tina. And she darted off running. The white lady, fast forward two years later, two and a half years later, I was in my office, same office. Tina was outside vacuuming her truck in September, October. And I was working away again on my keyboard, like I always do. And I heard, I was hearing a a swooshing sound, like a rustling sound, like paper or somebody raking leaves. And I, and I, and I was hearing it for a while to the, to the sense of I finally acknowledged it like my brain said, Keith, Tina's not in the house. You know how your brain talks to you? Yeah. And I was just typing away because I could hear Tina vacuuming outside. I heard her going and rubbing into her truck. She's in the driveway, which is my office turns faces the street so I can hear Tina clearly and I'm hearing noises coming out the hall of rustling sounds and finally my brain's like dude hmm. Tina's not in the house you might want to turn around and, and, and investigate this you're being haunted <laughs> I backed away from the keyboard and turned my face toward the direction of the noise and I can look right out my door I can see my hallway and I hear the noise. The noise is coming toward me. And as soon as I turn toward the doorway, this lady walks by. She's all white. She walks by, going left to right, and she goes into the room next to mine, to the right of mine. It goes to the guest bedroom. And uh, we didn't lock eyes like the gray lady. We didn't lock eyes. But she was very stoic. Like, she was very frozen. It looked like I was watching a movie. It was like it was a... I don't know, hologram, but she was not transparent. She's full body. And she's just walking, and she's holding something. I can never tell what she's holding because everything about her is all white. There's no definition to what she's holding because it's something in her arm. She's using both arms to hold it. Mm. And she's walking by. And, yeah, it's Rhonda. Just like Rhonda in the face, just like the gray lady, except she's not interacting with and the noise that I heard prior to seeing her is known in other Portuguese cases. There are cases on record 
everything we talked about so far fits under the, the umbrella of a poltergeist haunting in the sense of the sounding of paper rustling, the noise, the apparition, the seeing of all that. And I don't know if you've seen the video on my YouTube channel or in the infamous Ghost Adventures Demons in Seattle episode of when I'm in, in my office and the candles are being thrown toward the bookshelf. I did see that. That was really creepy. The white lady appeared. That's the same night. Same exact night. They're about... Hold on, let me get it right. Let me get it. Which came first? I mean, the, the white lady came first. Yeah, that's the same exact night. And what people don't understand, because I get this all the time from the internet and trolls, and you know, why is he so calm when all that's happening? Why is he like... You know, how did he always get his camera out and all that? What people don't know is, number one, I had the white lady incident an hour or so prior. And number two, second, I'm talking about seconds before those candles are thrown. There's three candles that got thrown. Two two are still missing to this day. Those candles were resting near me and Tina's bed. The priest put them there. They're white candles. Hmm. And prior to those being thrown, the lights in the hallway were going off and on. Off and on, just off and on. No clicking, nothing. Just like, you know, a storm passing by. Just off and on, rapid fire, rapid fire. And I, not by now being two years into the house, I know something's about to happen. That's usually an indicator that something's, you know, a chair's going to move, flower's going to appear out of nowhere. We've had that before. You know, a teleport item, whatever. I don't know what exactly is going to happen, I was more just trying to catch the lights going off and on, and lo and behold, boom, 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 those candles, and, and I caught it. And if you see me in the video, you see after the third one was thrown, I wait, because I don't know how many candles are being thrown. Right. <laughs> I wait when I think it's over, and then I proceed into the hallway, and you see debris. But what I tell people, if they look closely at that, video and just not do a knee-jerk reaction, oh, it's fake, or he's too calm, or whatever, you'll see in the time of when those three candles are being thrown, they're being thrown rapid fire right after each other. You don't, There's no shadow reflection on the wall or the floor or the bookshelf to point to a human being being in the hallway doing that. Light is this. There's a light bulb above that hallway, a dome light that would automatically cast a shadow on anybody standing in that hallway because light reflects. You don't see any of that. But in case you don't even want to believe that, then I want somebody to, and they can try this at home, get three socks, ball them up, make them about the size of a softball, talking about socks, or who more adventurous try something a little bit heavier, tennis ball, and standing in your narrow hallway, because all hallways by and large are about the same size and length and width, and try to throw three tennis balls or socks rapid fire. You can do it, but not rapidly. You would have to throw one. That throw, that changes your stance. Now you have to get back to your original stance again. Take the other soccer tennis ball out of your left hand or right hand, vice versa, because you're not going to hold an item in your hand while you're throwing from that same hand. That's just impossible. See all that shifting around and all that maneuvering around. Those candles were thrown. There was no pause in between. It was not like, boom, boom. No, it was boom, boom, boom. You, me, or anybody couldn't do that. that, that that's, that's called a projectile item in flight or in motion and it's called a projectile for a reason the one is traveling at immense speeds and it's rapid fire and it's being projected out of something or for somewhere and there's nobody in the hallway there's no there's there's nothing in the hallway normal meaning human right very chilling video for sure you know, it seems like you have everything going on there from apparitions to things disappearing. And I know, Keith, like your house had literally been under attack by unseen forces. And you came home one day, and I know this has happened more than just one time, but you came home one day to find your home like com- 
completely ransacked. Like, I saw the footage. Describe the scene, if you will. It seemed, it looked like a pack of robbers came in and just, like, totally destroyed your home. We had an activity while in the home, and we had activity while not in the home. And you're right. You come home through the front door, through the garage door, or through the kitchen, and it looks like, and your first time seeing it, that's your reaction. Oh, my God, my house has been vandalized. Yeah. Well, we all know what, one of the first things you do when your house is being vandalized, besides call 911, is look for items missing. Like, okay, people who vandalize, yeah, they vandalized, but it's to cover their tracks. They stole something. They, they came in here and stole something of value. Nothing's missing. There's no robbery. There's no forced entry. The ADT security has not been tripped. The ADT security keeps a log of front door, back door, window, open, close. It timestamps it. All that stuff you can go in and log in and see. And I logged in and see, yeah, the last time this door was open was when me and Tina left in the morning. That's what it's supposed to tell me. But you wouldn't know that by looking at my house because you're right. Couch and love sitting upside down. Coffee table upside down. The little marbles that Tina had in the, in the dish jar are all over the place. All the kitchen cabinet doors are wide open. All the kitchen chairs are pulled out. Some are lined up weird and weird patterns. The wine rack has been empty of all wine bottles. All the wine bottles are weirdly lined up on the floor. It makes no rhyme or reason why, but that's what they are. And yeah, it looks like a tornado has come through your home. And that happened a lot. And that's what made me buy cameras because I'm being advised to try to capture that in real time, which you can't do. You know, I would put a camera in the living room and they would start meleeing the upstairs. Well, can I get a camera upstairs? I put a camera in the living room upstairs, hallway, now they melee in the bedroom. So now I said, well, you know, I'm just going to put cameras everywhere. Then they make matters worse. They'll still melee but I'm, I'm at work trying to log in on my cameras and I'm getting beep alerts of sound detected or motion detected. And I log in, because these cameras, you, you can do that. And you can't log in, you have a technical difficulty or the camera goes offline. You're not pinging the camera anymore and it's offline for you know a few minutes, sometimes a few hours. You log back in. And your house looks pristine clear. It looks clean as a whistle. It looks exactly how you left it. And you're like, wait a minute, what's all these sound alerts and motion alerts then? What, what, what is that? And then you're like, okay, that's weird. And then you come home, you know, and then you see the destruction when you come home or vice versa. So, yeah, they, they, they had us, me more than Tina, chasing my tail trying to capture the phenomena in real time. And you can't. It was, it was extremely difficult because cameras went missing. They would come home and the camera is now gone. You know, it's gone. You know, the cord is there. It's interesting. The cord is there, but the camera's gone. Or sometimes they take the cord too, or sometimes the camera's obliterated. I mean, it's just, just destroyed. You know, they, but they took a lot more cameras than they destroyed. They manipulated a lot of they would change the password. I have a password that only I know. Tina doesn't even know. Tina doesn't even know doing the camera. She doesn't configure them. She doesn't do anything with the cameras. That's that's my forte. Yeah. And I only know the password, you know, and they changed the password. <laughs> you know, I got a camera in the living room. The name of the camera is living room. That's what the name of it is. I log into my living room camera. It's showing me the bedroom. Okay. No way. Hey. I log into, yeah, yeah, wait, yeah. I log into the bedroom camera, you know, because I labeled it, and it's showing me the living room. <laughs> totally, and I'm a network engineer, and I got, I, and that's, you can't do that. That's just unreal. They're not unplugging the camera from the bedroom and walking it down. They're not doing a swap like that, no. The camera in the bedroom is showing me my living room. That is wild. Yeah, I can't even imagine. That must have been so just frustrating. And one thing that I always remember about your case is 
the burning Bibles, the Bibles just catching on fire and some even just disappeared, right? Never to be seen again. Well, no, all the Bibles came back. The Bible is an interesting Bible one. Bible one caught fire uh, spring of 2014. But the Bible, that Bible went missing. It was, it was missing for over a year. Jeez. 2012, I think it was August or something. Tina wasn't even home. And this is, like I said, we're, we're troubleshooting. We got our friends, our family, the clergy. Everybody's giving us things to do. Everybody's working on Keith and Tina's problem. And I always tell people the activity that we had in 2012 and the activity in 2014 are different in night and day. 2012, while Portuguese activity, it's a level one activity. 2014 is what you get into the incinerary Portuguese, what they're, they're known for, what they make movies about. That's what 2014 was. My friend, one of my best friends, when Tina was out of town, has suggested to me to put the Bible, instead of putting it upstairs in the hallway where we always kept it, is put it downstairs on the lamp table and say a prayer over it, ask the spirits to leave, and go to bed. So he said a prayer with me over the phone, put him on speaker, we said a prayer together, and he hung up the phone, I said a prayer again, I think I left the Bible open on Proverbs or Psalms, and I went to bed. Tina's not even home, Tina's on a business trip. I go upstairs, shut the house down, turn on the ADT security downstairs, and go to bed. I get up next morning and open up my bedroom door because I slept the door closed. And I got to the, the landing. My, our bedroom leads out into the hallway landing, which you can see over the banister, all, everything downstairs, the living room downstairs. And I looked in the corner of the lamp where the Bible was. The Bible's gone. Bible, there is no Bible. Hmm. Bible gone, 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 gone. I think, I don't even remember doing a hard search for it because, number one, it was just me there. I did go downstairs, and before I can go to the lab table, I had to deactivate the ADT security and not trip the wire on myself. And I remember texting Tina, calling my friend, like, dude, that Bible's gone, man. That was one of the, we've had other things We've had things appear a lot in our house, but that was one of the first times that an object disappeared that I know specifically I placed there. See, my other car keys that went missing when we first moved in, these were my extra set of car keys. I kept them, I never used them. I kept them in the glove box. They went missing. So, yeah, I know I had them there. I saw them when I moved. But this is something I sat down the night before. This is one of the last things I saw when I went to bed. And I remember I told my friend, I told Tina, the Bible's gone. And it came back a year and a half later, and that was the first Bible that caught fire. And it came back, and it was on fire. It was the spring of 2014, after the activity had returned in a major way, that me and Tina were asleep. At 1.34 in the morning, the fire alarms went off. We darted out of the bed, and... There on the floor of the master bedroom in the doorway, there's a book on fire. I don't know what kind of book it is. It's on, it's on fire. We've never had fire before. And our heart's pounding, Tina's pounding, her heart's pounding. I closed the book with my foot. You know, I doused the flames immediately. As soon as I did that, I recognized the Bible. I said, oh, that's, that's the Bible. That's the one that went missing a year and a half ago. And sure enough, it was. They had it. They had it for that amount of time. And there were flames on it. I mean, this Bible was on fire. The other Bibles we found that you saw that were burnt in worse condition than this one, they would go missing and they would be returned in other parts of the house, usually the same day, already scorched. There was no fire that we witnessed except the pages or the book is shriveled up to almost unrecognizable. No alarms are being tripped. You don't smell burnt smoke. 
the pages are not hot like this one was. The book, the book we saw that morning, the pages were hot because there were flames. The other ones that disappeared came back in worse condition than the, when they disappeared. And, and that in itself, you know, is is worth researching for anybody who knows poltergeist activity. How that how that whole teleport a port spontaneous fire, not so spontaneous fire, how that works. Right. And it's truly remarkable just how that happened. Like you, a year and a half goes by without seeing this Bible, you know, and all of a sudden. So at this point, at one thirty-four in the morning, when you and Tina wake up to see this in flames, it's not like you found the book and put it away and then it happened it, you hadn't seen this book in a year and a half. Yeah, this Bible, this, yeah, this Bible is gone. Martina's out of town, and it's been gone since then. Jeez, that's crazy. It, you know, I mean, it's no okay. We're all going to go search for the Bible. Let's go look under the couch. Let's go look under this and this and that. No, this is gone a year and a half. And mm. what I tell people, and what makes this case so interesting and from a researcher's point of view who really wants to just dig deep into each phenomenon. You, you can write a whole book on just what happened right then and there because you have to understand the laws of physics, how physics works. Up. Okay, if the Bible was gone for a year and a half, okay, we all agree to that. He's telling the truth. The Bible's about a year and a half. Where is it? Where was it? I mean, that's one bullet point, right? Where was it? And we can have all kinds of theories as to where it was. Then you have to go to the fact, the point of, okay, they brought it back, but they brought it back on fire. You know, the level of calculation, the level of, you know, premeditated paranormal sneakiness calculation, take your pick, invoke horror into the house occupant psyche, because you have to keep in mind, they did that at one thirty-four in the morning for a reason. We're sleeping. They did it outside our bedroom door in the dead of night. They want the fire alarms to go off. Nobody in their right mind, or one of your worst fears when you live in a house or living anywhere, is a fire at night. You wake up, your fire alarms go off, your heart's pounding. You're not thinking ghosts. I'm not thinking, oh, if the ghost did that. I'm thinking, we have a fire in our house. We must have left something on downstairs. I'm not thinking, oh, the poltergeist is doing something. Oh, here we go. I'm not dragging myself out of bed. I'm leaping out of bed because I'm thinking the house is on fire. We only got a few seconds to react. Then I open up the door and I met with my burnt Bible. Now it becomes a paranormal event because now there's a book. You know, that'd be different if you came, you know, you, you run downstairs and the book is on fire by the chimney. You know, a cinder leaped off the chimney and touch the book or whatever, or you'd have a book by the toaster or, or something. Look, this Bible was put in our direct path and now it's on fire. So the spirits are trying to invoke fear. They're being calculative. How long did they think of that? When did the ideal originate? Did it originate when they took it a year and a half ago? Like, yeah, when Keith gets the Bible back, we give it back to him. It's going to be, you know, when he's 10 or asleep. Or did, they, or did that idea originate a few seconds or a few minutes before the book actually caught fire. And, I, and, I, and I, let me tell you this. The fire that we saw on the pages doesn't look like the fire that you and I would see if we lit the book ourselves. This looked like a... It was weird. It was a weird mannerism in the way the fire was burning. You know? It yeah. was almost like electrical fire it was it was almost it, is, it was kinetic how Ooh. about that it was it had a weird kinetic energy associated with it and to me that's absolutely terrifying it's one thing to see like apparitions and everything you dealt with to this point it, it's scary and unnerving but it's not deadly starting fires when you're sleeping you know waking up to a fire that's a whole other game that's a whole other type of activity 
That's <laughs> deadly. That's terrifying. I've I've heard cases like that before with other people where like you know they'll they'll walk out of their kitchen they're the only ones home they'll come back on to see all the the burners on or just different things like that and of course that's not like you know an actual fire but that could lead into something you know into catastrophe and that is very very scary keith i'm glad that you uh has been broken because we had several fires after that when you get when a portuguese introduced fire into the scene Basically, the Portuguese is telling you, you've graduated. Get ready. You've graduated because here on out, there's going to be more fires. And there were. Mm. You know, mm. there, were, there, were, there were more fires. The poster caught fire, I think, the week after. Uh, in my office, uh, the other two Bibles have yet to catch fire. My clothing, while I'm wearing it, caught fire. These are things the, the Portuguese is letting you know because now the seal has been broken. We've introduced fire into Keith and Tina, and therefore there will be more of these. We see how they react to to fire, and that's generally what happens in other Portuguese cases. If you look them up, you see when the fire, the first fire instance began, the ones that proceed after that happen quicker. The, 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 the interim is less and less and less. And yeah, we had a, a campaign of about two and a half weeks of fires, you know, and they're, and they're deadly, and your psyche is, you're not even talking paranormal anymore, you're talking supernatural, you're talking deliberate, because now you have to entertain the thought of, are they trying to kill us, are they trying to burn the house down, are they trying to, you know, what what is, I mean, this is, and that's what we did, that's what we called more churches, Catholic Church, call, call every Catholic Church on the Western Seaboard, and we did. I mean, we got fire now. I got a book smoldered in my head, a Bible that I saw, that Tina saw, that was on fire. And let's rewind real quick. You said that clothes, clothing that you were actually on your body, that you were wearing, caught on fire. Talk a little bit about that. That must have been terrifying. Well, that story is sort of like the first Bible when the first Bible caught fire because this was a Sunday night. Uh, me and Tina, at this point, we're so vexed and tired, sleep deprived. We're barely talking to each other. Me and Tina, mm. we're talking about the relationship. We're now more roommates than couples. Yeah. And I remember this night, we had an argument the night before. And Tina was sleeping in the guest bedroom. I was sleeping in the master bedroom. And I went to bed like at 3 a.m. or something. I was tired, bone tired. And Tina went to sleep, and she's in the other room. And I think it was like 6 a.m. The fire alarm started going off in the house, in the hallway. And I, we, by then, we know it's Portugal. We, you just, but you know it, but you don't know what's waiting for you when you get there. You know... You're being haunted right now, but you don't know by what and what's waiting for you. You got to go find it. Okay, the fire alarms are going off. I see smoke in my hallway. We got a fire. Okay, but I don't know the severity. So I run to my office because that's where the fire is. My computer monitors are on fire. I have dual monitors, and they are on fire. Okay? Mm. I'm going to tell you, you've never smell something that stuck so bad like plastic burnt plastic mixed with motherboard mixed with all whatever they used to make that stuff and it's burning and the glass and the plastic and it's burning it's billowing black smoke out of my office black smoke Ooh. and I remember I ran toward the, the monitors and there's flames all over them. and Tina's behind me I, I remember unplugging the power source immediately and I forgot what we threw on. You know, you not know, so you can't kill this fire with water. You don't do that. I remember we threw towels on it from the bathroom, damp towels, and that put the fire out the first time. As soon as we doused the fire on both monitors and they're like melted plastics going everywhere, we turn our back 
try to catch our breath, flam on again. The fire just poof, flam on again. And this time we try to throw the same towels on there and the fire is burning through the towels. Now the fire is like, uh-uh, yeah. nothing happening. And I was like, you got 20 seconds to get this fire under control or this room is about to be in, this room is gone. This, 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 this is real, this is real. And I remember Tina, God bless her soul, ran out of the room, yanked, went to the guest bathroom and just yanked. She's Tina Small. I still don't know how she did it today. She yanked this shower curtain off the shower. Hmm. Just yanked it. And the rail went everywhere. The little rings went everywhere. And Tina came back in there with this three-ply shower curtain and smothered the fire out. And the fire dis- dissipated. You can see it burning through the first two clear little shower layers, curtain layers, but finally it was doused. And we went toward the door. We was making an X because the smoke is, I mean, the smoke almost killed us along because it was just poison plastic going in our noses. And I said, we got to get out of this room. It's just bad. It's just bad. And I remember I got to the doorway of the, my office and all of a sudden Tina's like, dude, your shirt's on fire. And and, I, and all I heard was, Keith, your shirt's on fire. And just Tina just yanks my shirt off. She didn't even wait for me to acknowledge her or what are you talking about or anything. Because the back of my shirt was on fire. You know, she yanks it off, tears it off of me and with the enormous strength and just like, and yeah, my shirt is smaller and, and she threw it in the washing machine. Yeah, she threw it in the washing machine because that's the washroom was next to the bathroom, next to the office. And I remember looking at my shirt. And sure enough, the the, the, the back shirt, the underlying the um, the lower portion from left to right, was just obliterated. And Tina and, and this is, that's talked about in my book a lot. Well, I spent a lot of time on it because that day I remember we sat in the hallway after the fire. We put the fire out after the shirt incident. And I'm looking at Tina, and she's looking at me, but we're not talking to each other. We're, 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 we are we're in shock. Yeah, I, I was saying we were in shock. And I remember thinking to my head, thinking it to my brow, I was like, we're not going to survive this. This is, this, is, this is how, yeah, this is it. This is, this is how it goes down. We are not, because... You have to understand, fire on a Bible, fire on a poster, fire on a computer monitor, that's all horrific, and you put it out and it starts back up. All that thing is fine and good and dandy and it's horrific, but fire on your clothes. See, I never, and, and I still don't, I never knew the event horizon, if you will, of Portuguese, of what's their limitations. I was so naive, you know? Yeah. And, and I was so naive to their power, to their capability. It never it never dawned on me that, yeah, Keith, if I can set fire to a Bible, then of course they can set fire to your clothes while you're wearing it. But it never dawned on me until I read other Portuguese cases where that had happened, you know? And some ended up in less... You know circumstances that I did. Tina saw the fire before me. You know, Tina saw the fire because she was behind me. Yeah. And so she saw, it. and I'm glad she did because I don't know what I would have done. You know, my clothes caught fire, and it doesn't take much to get clothing going once it's gone. You know, and I was wearing a linen shirt that morning. I loved that shirt to death. Oh. Yeah. It was toasted. Dude. It was toasted. Mm. My goodness. It's amazing that you guys got through all of that, you know, and life is definitely precious. And it makes you, when you something like that happens, it does make you want to do research and go, what exactly is this? What's happening? And you sometimes find out things that you don't necessarily want to find out. You know, it's like, I don't want to know this stuff, but it's like I'm kind of forced to learn it because this is all happening to me. This is like my life now. Yeah, Keith, truly amazing what you guys went through. And 
So you guys who are listening right now, please be sure to tune in, listen in tomorrow as well, because we are putting out a bonus episode as Keith has so much more to talk about, more encounters, more experiences, and the huge thing, evidence. More evidence. And you definitely don't want to miss this, right, Keith? No, you definitely don't want to miss us talking about the uh, the other evidence, like I said, the wall writings, the wall analysis, and um, what came after, especially some uh, EVPs. So, yeah, definitely want to tune in for that. Yes, so more evidence and some audio evidence as well. Keith had so much to talk about, and that's what is so crazy. It wasn't just like footsteps and, you know, different things like that. It was footsteps and things catching on fire and apparitions and, you know, the house being turned upside down. Unbelievable. It's very, it's, it's eerie and it's creepy and it definitely makes you grateful that you're not going through it. So please again, be sure to check in tomorrow as we will have a bonus episode and it's all about evidence. And I think you're going to want to listen to this because when you find out what was used, like the substance was used for the wall markings, it blew my mind. And please be sure to check out the cover picture because not only is it of Keith, but it is about the burnt Bible that he was talking about. So you could see it for yourself. Did you enjoy this week's episode? Yes! Listen to the others, you guys. They're equally awesome. Haven't heard every single one yet? No need to cry, my friends. Just venture on over to any podcast platform such as Deezer, Spotify, Google Podcast, CastBox, Apple Podcast, Podcast Addict. Basically, wherever you roam to listen to your other podcast, you'll probably find Paranormal Prowlers Podcast. Don't forget to tell your friends and subscribe. This week's special city shoutouts go to... Orlando, Florida. Council Bluffs, Iowa. Bella Forge, South Dakota. And I absolutely apologize in advance because I know I'm going to butcher this name. But Buhanswar, India. And Stockholm, Sweden. Thank you all for listening wherever you're from. It's greatly appreciated. See you tomorrow for the bonus episode.